It was the biggest night of the year in the little town of Cornwall. And uh, Cornwall would look something like this. Uh, maybe even something like this. Maybe you grew up in a, to in a town uh, similar to Cornwall. Cornwall. There's not much going on. <laughs> uh, it was a night in Cornwall with the annual Christmas pageant in the church. And since there were no malls or um, big cities around the area, guess what? The entire town came out for the pageant. And um, it was especially big uh, for the children to be involved in it. Uh, every year they would try to get different roles in the Christmas story. And of course, everybody wanted to participate. Which leads to the problem of Harold. You guys know Harold, don't you? <laughs> Harold wanted to be in the play. Uh, but the problem was Harold had a mind of his own. And uh, the directors who had done this thing in the past, they knew Harold could be, a, uh, could be a problem on the stage. And they also knew that if Harold didn't get a part, he would be crushed. His feelings would be hurt. And um, so finally, finally they came to a solution. They announced that Harold would be the innkeeper. He would be the, the man who turned away Mary and Joseph um, the night that Jesus was to be born. And the cool thing was, Herod only had one line, and it was, I'm sorry, we have no room. No room. Well, the night of the pageant came, the church was packed as usual. The set was in place, and there was an entire wall scene with Bethlehem painted on it, including the door of the inn where Harold would greet uh, and then turn away the young travelers. And backstage, uh, the angels were playing frisbee with their halos. Uh, the shepherds were waiting till the last minute to put on their laundered bathrobes. And Harold was being personally tutored by the nervous directors. Now remember, Harold, when Joseph says, do you have a room for the night? You say, Harold, <laughs> you say, <laughs> and... Hesitantly, Harold um, said, I'm sorry, we, we, we have no room. Well, the directors looked at each other and they were hopeful. They had done all they could to uh, make it work for Harold. Well, the Christmas story unfolded. According to plan, the angels were singing. Joseph had a dream. They took the trip to Bethlehem. And finally, Joseph and Mary arrived at the door of the Bethlehem Inn. And looking appropriately tired and fatigued, they discussed whether the baby would come that night or not. And um, Joseph ended up knocking on the inn's door. And backstage, the directors were just out of sight, coaching Harold, Harold, now it's time to open the door. But wouldn't you know it, the door was stuck. <laughs> it was stuck. He couldn't get it open. And, and the whole set, the whole set started shaking as <laughs> Harold tried to get that door open. Well, finally he did. He got it open and Joseph asked his one question and do you have a room for the night? And at that time, you know, after Harold had exerted himself to get that door open, he just froze. Um, from the backstage, the directors were whispering in a loud whisper, I'm sorry, we have no room. 
So finally, Harold mumbled, I'm sorry, we have no room. And with a little coaching, uh, he shut the door. <laughs> man, the directors, they took a sigh of relief. To that. Man, we did it. Harold did it, man. But it was a little premature. Um, as Mary and Joseph disappeared into the night, the set started shaking again, and the door opened, and Harold was back. And in that unrehearsed moment, the folks in Cornwall that will never forget, Harold went running after the young couple, shouting as loud as he could, wait, wait, you can have my room. <laughs> Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. You know, Harold may have understood the real issue of Christmas better than anybody else in the church that night. And the question beckons, how can you leave Jesus outside? You have to make room for Jesus, don't you? You do. And really, that may be the issue for you this Christmas. Luke 2.7 says she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And so what's going to happen this Christmas, what are you going to do with the Son of God? The one who traded his throne room for a stable. Think about that. Hmm? We have a decision to make. This creator of the universe giving himself to go to a cross one day and die for you and for me. Well, Jesus is at the door. He's at your door, my door this Christmas, and he's been knocking. Maybe he's been knocking a long time in your life. And it's possible that you've just ignored the knock, pretended you didn't hear the doorbell ring, whatever the case may be. But here's the thing, Jesus is knocking. Will you invite him in to your room? And so we go back 2,000 years ago to that first Christmas Eve and if we had a, a roll of film, video of what happened then, there would be no brightly colored lights on anybody house, anybody's houses. No stockings would be hung over the fireplace, you know, with uh, visions of sugar plums dancing in the kids' heads. No, no, none of that was going on. It was just another night in Bethlehem. The census had gone out, that command by Caesar for everybody to be taxed. Uh it brought Joseph and Mary to that little town. And it was to be that night that everything would change in Bethlehem. And so when we look at the nation of Israel, uh, it's a little reminiscent of what's going on in our world today. Um, it was frightening time historically. Um, they lived under a tyrant, King Herod, who would execute people at will. He'd just kill them. If he had a bad day, he'd go out and kill people. Uh, the Jews were living in occupied territory. The Romans had taken control of their country. They were no longer free to do and live as they wanted. And uh, these folks in, uh, in the nation of Israel were thinking, man, when are the Romans ever going to leave? We're kind of tired of them hanging around. Would our world ever change? And suddenly we have angels showing up on a hillside uh, to a group of shepherds. 
and making an announcement that would change the world forever. And so, what's going on with this invasion of Almighty God? Well, uh, God wanted you and I to know what he really was like. So, let's take a look at Luke chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 8, and we're going to walk through this uh, the next few moments. You can fill in the blanks along the way. And um, here we go. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Father, thank you for your word. And in this Christmas season, Lord, it's um, in this room, those watching online, we kind of hit the pause button of busy the rat race, so much to do, so many places to go. But Lord, we settle in tonight on purpose to allow you to talk to us in a very personal way. You specifically talk to a group of shepherds on a hillside. And tonight, Lord, you're talking to each one of us. We're grateful. May our hearts be open to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one in your notes, fear rushes in. Look at verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. You, you have to use a little emotion on that word terrified because that's exactly what it represents. It doesn't mean they were a little bit scared. Um, no, no, they were terrified. They were terrified. We see that they don't get a, a text. They don't get an email. Hey, let's meet in Jerusalem. Let's meet at the temple. We've got, uh, we're going to have a little gathering there tonight. No, that didn't happen. They were working on the hillside. And these angels that we will see in a moment, they just show up while these shepherds are working. Shepherds staying in the fields, guarding their flocks. We see these shepherds that made the news. They don't have their names in the Bible. And how we could, we could stop for a moment and think, hey, hey, they were the first to be notified of the birth of Christ. Don't you think it would carry some weight? But I don't think these men cared about being famous because they were consumed with what they saw and heard and experienced that first Christmas Eve. These shepherds that in the Jewish community, if you had a totem pole on who you would esteem with employment. Well, on the bottom of the totem pole would be lepers. They were despised. Uh, people would stay away from them. They would shun them because they were contagious. Think about that, being a leper. 
Who was next in line up the totem pole? It was shepherds. They were despised. They were dirty. They took care of sheep. Sheep are dirty. Sheep smell. And so the people in that part of the country, they looked down on shepherds. And so they weren't held in much esteem at all. But check it out. Check it out. God in heaven chose to make the announcements to these shepherds, putting worth and value on them. And tonight you may feel like, man, I've messed up so much in my life. I've been a failure spiritually. You don't know my past. Listen, you can talk yourself into a corner, but here's the deal. God's going to come after you anyway, and he's going to make an announcement to you, and he's going to say, I love you. I love you, and I have a plan for your life. So we see that the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And let's, let's circle that word terrified because I don't know about you, but we're living in a culture today that's somewhat terrifying. This word terrified means to, they feared a great fear, to be struck with fear, to be seized with alarm. It stresses the intensity of the fear. Man, I tell you, we, we live in a pretty unstable world right now. And fear may fill your world, um, but it doesn't have to fill your hearts. You don't have to invite fear in for dinner, nor do you have to make a bed for it at night in your home. Maybe you're having trouble sleeping because of fear. Well, tonight can make a difference in that as well. I want to read an article that um, was written. Listen to what it says. This has been a very disturbing year in American history. Millions of Americans at this moment are confused, discouraged, cynical, frightened, and disillusioned. Each day seems to add to our problems. In the midst of all this upheaval and crises and difficulty and problems and fear comes the message of Christmas with all its hope, goodwill, and cheer. I think the message of Christmas has been terribly misapplied and misunderstood for many years. Some think of business, profits, shopping, gifts, tinsel, toys, and celebration. Others think only of Bethlehem, of the star in the sky, shepherds in the field, and angels singing. Still others cynically ask, where is this prince of peace in a world filled with so much trouble? Maybe you're asking that question. But the real Christmas message goes far deeper. It answers all the great questions that plague the human race at this hour. The Christmas message is relevant, revolutionary, and reassuring to us today. Billy Graham gave this talk at the White House back in December 16th, 1973. So you see, the world was troubled, not only when Jesus was born, it was troubled in 1973, just as it is troubled in 2020. Nothing really has changed. And so, let's talk about fear. Maybe fear is paralyzing you, and we have a theme through the Christmas story. When you go into the book of Matthew and Luke, you hear this over and over again. Luke 1.13, the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Luke 1.30, don't be afraid, Mary. 
Luke 174, we have been rescued from our, from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. Matthew 120, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid. Is there a message here? <laughs> yeah, there is. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear paralyze you. Don't let it cripple you. In your life, your life where God has his hand upon your life. Yeah. Max Licato put it this way, we fear. We depend on mood-altering drugs more than any other generation in history. Moreover, ordinary children today are more fearful than psychiatric patients were in the 1950s. And so, and so fear, yes, it can paralyze us if we let it. And we see it all around us, people we know, maybe you. Fear can do some devastating things in our lives. And Jesus takes your fear and my fear very seriously, and he does not want us to live in a state of fear. Because we never make the statement, my phobia is put such a spring in my step. Right? We don't, we don't talk like that. Thank God for my pessimism. Anybody talking like that? Or I've been such a better person since I lost hope. No, no, nobody makes statements like that. And that's why Jesus came to put fear away from us. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's great hope for each one of us. Fear does not have to camp out in our lives. We can be intentional about putting our trust in Christ. Why? Because number two, enjoy the good news. There's good news. Man, if you just hear bad news all the time, yeah, it can impact you from the inside out. But Christmas says, hey, we need to enjoy the good news. Verse 10, the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news They will bring Great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And so, Ray Stedman, pastor, author, put it this way. The chief mark of the Christian ought to be the absence of fear and the presence of joy. How's that working for you? What do you think? Huh? What's, what's leaning into your life, fear or joy? Well, the angels were telling the shepherds long ago, and Jesus is saying it, in fact, again tonight, hey, let joy permeate your life. And so we need to say, yes, Lord, I need to start enjoying that good news. Man, the good news, what's that about? Well, verse 10b, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem. And so the first purpose of Christian is, Christmas is a celebration. I mean, really, Christmas is a celebration. We sang about it earlier. And we learned from the angels' opening statements to the shepherds here 
especially in verse 10. Let's break it down. It's in your notes. Christmas is worth celebrating for three reasons. Number one, it's personal. They said, I bring you. I bring you. That's personal. Number two, it's encouraging. Good news that will bring great joy. That's encouraging news, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. That's great news. And three, it's for everybody. It's to all people. And that's one of the cool things about Jesus coming to the earth, that it wasn't to, for just a select group of people, you know, maybe the educated, maybe the affluent, whatever the case may be. It's for all people, anybody, everybody. The door is wide open. Jesus is knocking on everybody's heart, not just a few. That's, that's good to know. And we know that God sent Jesus via John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever, that's anybody, everybody, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's good news, wouldn't you say? I think so. Nancy Dugan was almost four years old as, a Chris, as Christmas drew near, and her parents and her four older siblings tried to prepare her about, you know, what the true meaning of what Christmas was all about and why the family celebrated it. And so Nancy, at Christmas, of course, she had a wonderful Christmas with lots of gifts. A few days later, she was talking to her older sister about what a great Christmas she had, and she said, I sure hope Joseph and Mary have another baby. <laughs> hey, is that what it's all about? Uh, Nancy, when she was young, that's what it was about, presents, you know. But hey, when we get older, we begin to realize it's more than presents. It's the presence of the Lord living in our lives and allowing him to live in and through us. And Jesus taking our sins on himself, a savior, a savior. And so there was that rescue mission, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That is the reason Jesus came. And so the message is simple for Christmas. Number one, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. Two, as a sinner, I need a Savior. And God took care of that. He sent Jesus. That's number three. Jesus is our Savior. And the person that's willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior will be transformed by the power of Christ. That's good news. That's what we need to camp out on, you know? That's why we need to fix our eyes on Christ and not allow bad news to penetrate every part of our life. Number three, be engaged with worship. Verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom uh, God is pleased. So there was a, a flash in the sky. And suddenly, instead of one angel being there, there were a bunch of angels. There wasn't 50 or 500 or 5,000 
A vast host means you couldn't count them because there were so many. So to make it simple, we just say there were a bunch of angels there, right? Can you imagine that? The one angel comes in, he preps the shepherds, and then he brings in the heavenly host. You can't even count them. There's so many, and they fill the sky. Pretty exciting, you know? Pretty exciting. What's going on? What is going on when those, those bunch of angels show up? Well, they were worshiping. That's what they were doing. Job 38, 7 says, At the creation of the world, as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. The angels' gift on that first Christmas was worship. Think about that. Their gift was to sing praises to the Lord. And you would think, you know, hey, maybe, maybe these angels, instead of worshiping, they could maybe work it out where there's a hotel open for Mary and Joseph to find a room for the night. You know, maybe they could work it out and find a crib, a bassinet for Jesus. You know, that's what, it, that's what they needed but evidently, in God's eyes, the most important thing is worship. Man, you think Mary and Joseph, the commitment they made, you know, as Mary carried baby Jesus and all the criticism and the flack and the gossip that they put up with. You would think God would give them a break and they can't even find a place to sleep and have a baby. Well, God says, you know what? I put great worth and value on worship. And that's, that's something that you and I can get into the habit of doing as well. Let's talk about that. Who knew, better, who knew Jesus better than anybody at that time were the angels? They came from heaven. That's where Jesus came from. And so they come and they worship and heaven is full of worship. Revelation 4.8 says, Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. So we can model that. We can worship verbally. You know, there's, there, I know there's some believers, followers of Christ, they say, well, I'll worship him in my heart, you know. Uh, it'll be between me and God. And uh, that was me years ago as well. I was quiet, shy, etc. But I have to tell you, as my relationship with the Lord began to grow, he began to challenge me. And so as simple as this, taking my hands from my side to bring them here, it didn't kill me. You know, and it, I, I survived it. And, and then to work, work them up, you know, without a crane, just to, to elevate my hands really in saying, God, you are incredible. I love you and I worship you. I give you honor. And I think even going into a brand new year, that could be something that we all Commit to, Lord, help me worship you that is honoring to you. Help me to, not to get caught up in what people around me might think, you know, 
But help me model even what the angels are so good at, and that is worshiping the Lord. Look at Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. So do you love God? Well, tell him out loud in the public. Psalm 47, 1, come everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. Man, tonight, I thought it was pretty cool when we started singing. You know, you could just tell you were excited to be here and to worship the Lord. Isn't that a great opportunity? You know, we come together as a family of God and we tell God how great he is. So, what else is going on? Well, Psalm 63, 3 and 4, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Something happens when we worship. Really. I have to tell you, man, I, I, had a, I have had to be intentional even about my worship time during this Christmas season. And I've been camping out on for King and Country, their Christmas album, and some other Christmas albums that contemporize Christmas music, just playing that over and over again and appreciating the Christmas season and what Jesus did to come to planet Earth to make a difference. I want to encourage you to become intentional about your worship because something happens in your life when you invest that time in telling God how great he is. So, number four, finding Jesus. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. So as soon as the angels went back to heaven, boom, the shepherds said, hey, let's vote. Should we go to Bethlehem or not? Should we go look for the baby or not? And since they lived in America, they took a vote. <laughs> no, they didn't. There was no debate. There was no dialogue. Hey, what about the sheep? We've got predators. This is nighttime. This will put our sheep at risk. We're going to lose money if we leave them. And Harold says, no, I'll stay behind. I'll be the one to watch this. No, nobody stayed behind. They didn't have to vote about it. There was something inside them. They were drawn to go after Jesus Christ, finding Jesus. So there was a woman who was in a rush during the Christmas season years ago. She needed to buy some more Christmas cards, and so she never read the verse inscribed inside of it. She quickly signed and addressed all of those Christmas cards except one. And several days later, during breakfast, she pulled out that one card that she didn't mail out, and she read it, and it said, this card is just to say a special gift is on the way. And she thought, man, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> a 
Listen, the gift was already there for the shepherds. It wasn't in the mail. He wasn't on the way. He was born in that little village of Bethlehem. Finding Jesus is a priority. And that word found, it says, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about in verse 16. They found Jesus. And you might think, well, I bet you there was a gospel blimp over that manger, over that stable on that first Christmas to help these shepherds find out where Jesus was. No, no. There was no angel with a sign pointing to the stable. No, that word found means to find after a search. The shepherds knew what they were looking for. The angel told them exactly what to look for. It implies in order to find or discover, searching, looking up and down in order to find something of great value. That's what that word found means. It wasn't easy. And again, you would think, hey, the shepherd, it should have been easy for him because the angels came to them first. No, they had to go looking, ringing all the doorbells, you know, running up and down the alleys until they found Jesus wrapped tucked in on top of that manger. And so that's a good motivation, I think, for all of us, too. We find it so easy to make excuses why, you know, we can't go to church. Or I can't write, read my Bible. I can find out more about Jesus, you know. But I, I don't have time to read my Bible. You know, we come up with all this stuff. Well, the shepherds provide for us a model No debate, we're going to go find Jesus. And guess what? Today in our culture, Jesus finds us. Yeah, that's, that's what he's doing. And uh, he came, Luke 19.10, to seek and to save that which was lost. Number five, tell the good news. Verse 17, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. What's this about? Friend, when we invite Christ into our life, we need to tell other people our story. If you notice, these shepherds, there was no mini class in Bethlehem on how to share your faith on how to do it right. All they did, they were told by the angel, they went and saw and they began to tell people what they saw and what they heard. You have a story to tell. You need to tell it. People are waiting for the hope that you have within you, bringing the light of the world into that darkness. We should be taking full advantage of it because it is good news. Man, just think, if we had to give bad news to people, that'd be tough. But this is good news. This is something to celebrate about. We've got to tell somebody, the shepherd said. They couldn't hold it in. A grandfather tells the story of his three-year-old granddaughter who suddenly appeared in their living room carrying an empty wrapping paper tube, just like this. 
What's that for, Angel, the grandpa asked. And she said, I'm a shepherd. Yeah, I'm a shepherd, of course. Of course, he thought she was a shepherd. I should have known from the shepherd's staff that she was carrying, of course. Well, Miss Shepherd, what are you doing today? Her answer, I'm looking for lost sheep. Hmm. The grandpa thought to himself, man, that's what Christmas is really all about. My little angel shepherd, without knowing, was echoing the very words of Jesus himself when he announced the reason for the manger, for leaving heaven for this planet Earth, and ultimately the reason for that cross and allowing men that he had created to nail him to a tree that he had also created. Jesus has declared that he's on a rescue mission to seek and to save what was lost. Lost. I was lost once. Without knowing it, this little granddaughter was with a wrapping paper tube, was a living picture of what Jesus had said, I am the good shepherd. And the Bible repeatedly says that we people are like sheep. First, they wander away from the shepherd. Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Second, a sheep away from the shepherd is lost. They can't find their way back. And sometimes it's very possible that you may feel lost. You feel lost in this world. I don't know why I'm here. I don't really know where I'm going now or after I die. I'm looking for something that's never been anywhere I've looked. I keep coming up empty. I'm lost. Well, lost is dangerous. In our wandering and our searching, we may have been hurt. We've been used, diminished, devalued. But guess what? There's another lesson about the sheep. They don't find the shepherd. Their only hope is that the shepherd will find them. And I'm so glad that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the shepherd found me. And so that's what Christmas is all about. God, who is coming to look for you and for me. In 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died once and for all, us guilty sinners, that he might bring us safely home to God. It was that love that captured my heart. Maybe here tonight, maybe you're watching on television, on the line. And you're lost. Jesus, the good shepherd, is knocking on your door right now. And you can say, Jesus, I recognize that you are my savior. You went to the cross. You paid for my sin debt in full. And tonight, I'm not going to shut the door anymore. I'm going to open it wide and allow you to come in and be the savior, the leader of my life. Forgive me my sins. And by your spirit, I will live for you the rest of my life. Well, if you've done that right here, right now, we've got material on the, in the foyer. That it's free. It explains what it means to be a follower of Christ. If you're watching online, you can go to our church webpage, fill out that information. We'd love to get you more information about what it means to become a follower of Christ. That's what the greatest gift, why Jesus came. He was born as a baby to die on the cross, to be raised from that grave on the third day. That's great news. Why? Because he wants to have a relationship with you. So, Father, thank you. Thank you 
for the great love that you demonstrated. Thank you, as the good shepherd, you come looking for us, the lost sheep. And tonight, Lord, we thank you for that relationship that we can have with you. We're grateful. I pray your blessing, Lord, on each person watching who's here. May they sense your love, your presence in a very personal way, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.